Peace be upon you. If you ask the average person if they prefer to be free or a slave, the vast majority of people hands down would proclaim that absolutely they prefer freedom over slavery. But is that really true? The children of Israel were slaves in Egypt and were facing the worst persecution by their captors who were slaying their sons and sparing their daughters. We read in Surah 7 verse 141, it reads, Recall that we delivered you from Pharaoh's people who inflicted the worst persecution upon you, killing your sons and sparing your daughters. That was an exacting trial for you from your Lord. And despite what you might see in new recruiting videos from the army, a society that had lost a generation of their young strong males will not have much of a chance of overthrowing their oppressors. And before the cries of feminists who claim that the Quran is sexist because it calls slaying your sons and sparing your daughters the worst punishment, consider what happened to those daughters who, were, uh, who survived when their male protectors were killed off. How was life for these people? And this is the reason it's considered the worst punishment. So one would think that if any group of people would long to be free, it would have been the children of Israel at the time of Pharaoh. Yet we learn from their response after God blessed them with freedom that this was not the case. In Surah 2 verse 61 it reads, Recall that you, the children of Israel, said, O Moses, we can no longer tolerate one kind of food. Call upon your Lord to produce for us such earthly crops as beans, cucumbers, garlic, lentils, and onions. He, Moses, said, Do you wish to substitute that which is inferior for that which is good? Go down to Egypt where you can find what you ask for. They have incurred condemnation, humiliation, and disgrace and brought upon themselves wrath from God. This is because they rejected God's revelations and killed the prophets unjustly. They disobeyed and transgressed. On face value, this seems like a very harsh response from God for a simple request of garlic, cucumbers, lentils, onions, and other provisions. But what was it about this ask that was so egregious. The children of Israel, as stated earlier, were facing the worst persecution a society could face. And God blessed them and gave them freedom and abolished their chains of slavery. But the only thing these individuals could think of was how good it was in Egypt when they had these provisions. That they were willing to forego their basic freedoms in order for some worldly conveniences. And this is a test to show not just the children of Israel, but for all of us, that if we're willing to forego our basic freedoms to be able to worship God freely for some worldly conveniences, then we prefer slavery over freedom. Because the reality is freedom comes with certain responsibilities, and these responsibilities can cause hardship. But most people are willing to just, in order not to have to face that hardship, to go back into the bondages of slavery, to have those worldly conveniences. And I'm sure that many people are in denial regarding such accusations. But then this would mean that the children of Israel were an isolated case and not a lesson for future generations and communities. But can we find other examples of people who chose slavery over freedom because of the hardships that freedom had? It's a controversial example, but there's much writings and interviews of African-Americans who were once slaves in America who lamented their freedom after slavery was abolished. 
Around 1937, Clara Davis wrote about her nostalgic days of bondage in Alabama. She wrote, white folks, you can have your automobiles, paved streets and lights. You can have your buses and streetcars and hot pavement, tall buildings, because I ain't got no use for them, no way. I tell you what I do want. I want my old cotton bed and the moonlight shining through the willow trees and the cool grass under my feet while I run around catching lightning bugs. I want to feel the sway of the old wagon going down the red dusty road and listening to the wheels groaning as they roll along. I want to sink my teeth into the old ash cake. White folks, I want to see the boats passing up and down the Alabama River and hear the slaves singing at their work. I want to see dawn break over the Black Ridge and the twilight settle over the place spreading the orange hue. I want to walk the pass through the woods and see the rabbits and the birds and the frogs at night. But they took me away from that long time ago. Weren't long before I married and had children, but don't none of them contribute to my support now. One of them was killed in the big war with the German, and the rest is all scattered out, eight of them. Now I just live from hand to mouth, here one day, somewhere else the next. I guess we all gonna die if in this depression don't let us alone. Maybe someday I'll get to go home. They tell me that when a person crosses over that river, the Lord gives him what he wants. I don't told the Lord I don't want nothing much, only my home, white folks. I don't think that's so much to ask for. I suppose he'll send me back there. I've been waiting a long time for him to call. This seems almost too hard to believe. How can individuals whose lives were reduced as no more than the literal property of others lament their newly obtained freedom? And this isn't the only case. There's a fair amount of research that many career criminals prefer prison over freedom or house arrest when faced with the realities of the responsibilities they face once they're free. Having to go back to work, paying bills, paying child support, dealing with everyday life choices, this becomes overwhelming for many. One criminal justice study showed that up to one-third of convicts surveyed preferred being sentenced to prison over other alternatives, such as boot camp, work release, and probation. Peter Wood, an associate professor in sociology at Mississippi State University, who has studied sentencing preferences of more than 1,100 prisoners in Kentucky, Indiana, Oklahoma, stated that the basic issue is that a lot of inmates would rather just do the time rather than invest an effort and time in doing an alternative sanction. Robert Sigler, a criminal justice professor at the University of Alabama, said, repeat offenders and career criminals who have had a taste of prison and alternative sanctions often see prison as a less restrictive environment. Even probation or parole are not as popular for experienced inmates because of the heavy supervision they experience over their private lives. They would take 12 months in prison over 15 months probation, said Sigler, who has interviewed Illinois prisoners on the subject. In a 2019 article from Vice, it shared why some Danish convicts prefer to be in prison rather than house arrest. Paul Kungsberg had multiple convictions on his record, eight of which were violence-related. Before his most recent sentencing, the 39-year-old was able to show that he'd broken away from his criminal connections and also that his wife was pregnant, so was allowed to serve his time at home with an ankle monitor rather than in prison. However, Serving his sentence in the comfort of his own home proved more difficult than he'd imagined. So one day, Kongsberg cut off his house arrest bracelet so the police would send him back to jail. And he said, 
It was hard for me to live a normal life as a parent. I need to go back to prison to get some peace and quiet. <laughs> and this is the reason that the actuality between the choice between slavery and freedom is not as cut and dry as people make it out to be. It's because they only are considering these options in the extreme cases. But the reality is much more nuanced than that. The choice between freedom and slavery is more of a sliding scale. In one extreme of no freedom, we imagine a person being shackled to a cell who has no say in anything they do and might be forced to do whatever is requested of him. In the other extreme, we imagine a person living in a world who is free to do whatever they want without consequence of society. The reality is that most of us will give up a good amount of freedom in order to have the conveniences that society is willing to offer. The rub is that we underestimate just how much freedom we are willing to give up for these conveniences. That rather than moving out into the wilderness without any authority, where we are free to do whatever we want without obligation to society and absolute autonomy, but with the trade-off that we have to fend for ourselves and are limited to the products that nature has to provide or what we can produce for ourselves, the vast majority of us prefer to live in a society where there are rules and limitations to what we can do with the return expectation that we can benefit from what society has to offer if we give up some amount of our own autonomy. This includes in more mundane cases to pay taxes to the government, to work, to earn money, to follow certain norms, customs, and regulations of modern society. But in the more extreme cases, to give up our freedom of speech, freedom of expression, and freedom of religion. So the question is not, do you prefer slavery over freedom? But how much slavery will you tolerate for the amenities of this world? In the case of the children of Israel, they were willing to forego all the newly obtained freedoms that God has blessed them with and go back into the bondage under the tyranny of Pharaoh where they would have all their liberties stripped away and run the risk of having their children killed or taken just in order to have garlic, lentils, cucumbers, onions, and other worldly possessions because they were sick and tired of the manna and quails that God was providing them. In the Arabic Quran, one of the words for slave, Abid, comes from the same root as the word for worship, which is Abudu. When we prioritize anything over our worship for God, then that becomes our God and our object of worship. Like it or not, we are all slaves to some degree. But the question is, what do we want to be a slave to? Whatever we become a slave to, then that becomes our God. If we become slaves to our work, family, children, and give them priority over our Creator, then they become our God. In Surah 9 verse 24 it reads, Proclaim if your parents, your children, your siblings, your spouses, your family, the money you have earned, a business you worry about, and the homes you cherish are more beloved to you than God and His Messenger and striving in His cause, then just wait until God brings His judgment. God does not guide the wicked people. So now that we understand that the question is more of a sliding scale, the question is how much liberty is one willing to give up for the conveniences of this world? Those who say, look, I'm willing to give up some, but I would never give up my worship practices, my uh, religion, my freedom of speech in order to appease the societal conveniences that are available. Just consider 
this last year and the world's response to COVID. How many people quickly handed over their freedoms, their ability to travel, to congregate for worship, their ability to earn a living, to educate their children, visit their families and loved ones over a virus with a death rate less than 1%, with the average age of mortality of 77 years of age, which is the expected mortality rate of someone who's healthy. Now, you can make the argument that in March, April of last year, you know, the science wasn't fully understood. We had to do what we could in order to stay safe. But over a year into this, now that the science is well understood, how many people are still not performing their Joma prayer, are still living in isolation, not doing their worship practices because of something so minute, because they want the conveniences of security rather than the worship of God alone. Ben Franklin made the claim, he says, they who can give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And God is equating those of the children of Israel who are willing to forego those freedoms that God blessed them with as the same camp as those who killed the prophets unjustly. So let's not make that same mistake. But there's a whole other side to this. From the perspective of the group who has more of their freedoms in a society, how likely is there that the people were not being oppressed to speak out against the injustice they see? God provides us an example of a believing Egyptian at the time of Pharaoh and his bravery in speaking out against the wrongs of what he was seeing. In Surah 40, verse 28 through 33, we read, A believing man among Pharaoh's people who is concealing his belief, said, How can you kill a man just for saying, My Lord is God, and he has shown you clear proofs from your Lord? If he is a liar, that is his problem. And if he is truthful, you benefit from his promises. Surely God does not guide any transgressor liar. O my people, today you have the kingship and upper hand. But who will help us against God's judgment should it come to us? Pharaoh said, you are to follow only what I see fit. I will guide you only in the right path. The one who believes said, O oh my people, I fear for you the same fate as the previous opponents, the opponents of Noah, Ad, and Thamud, and others who came after them. God does not wish any injustice for the people. O oh my people, I fear for you the day of summoning. That is the day when you may wish to turn around and flee, but nothing will protect you then from God. Whomever God sends astray, nothing can guide him. It's easy to stand for the truth when people in one's environment are in agreement. But the real test comes when we stand for the truth despite the pushback and ramifications that one will face for holding such opinions. Therefore, a person is not virtuous for the popular opinions they eagerly promote, but the unpopular truths they dare to proclaim. To articulate this point below is a thought experiment from Professor Robert George of Princeton. Each year, the professor asks his students, imagine you are living in 1816 Alabama. How many of you would be on the side of the abolitionist? And nearly every hand of all his students go up. And the professor responds, really? Can any one of you name a single political stance you are currently willing to publicly proclaim that may cost you your life, liberty, or career today? 
And after that, he typically hears nothing but silence from his students. We all like to think that we are not a byproduct of our environment and our norms, but consider that in 1860 Alabama, 25% of free blacks even owned slaves. So to think that we would all be immune to such societal pressures and stick with the morals we have today, had we lived in 1860 in Alabama, would be naive. It's easy to stand for the truth when the individuals we are in contact with are in agreement. But as we've seen through the example of the messengers and the prophets, the real test is if we are willing to do this when it goes against the crowd, like Moses to Pharaoh or Muhammad to the people of Quraysh or Jesus to the children of Israel or Abraham to his people and his own father or Lot to his community, we see that throughout history, the true test for the believers is are they willing to stand for the truth despite the opposition? God informs us that he never burdens a soul beyond its means. But at the same time, that as believers, we know that we will be tested through insults from those who do not believe. Surah 2 verse 286, it reads, God never burdens a soul beyond its means. To its credit is what it earns and against it is what it commits. Surah 3 verse 186, it reads, You will certainly be tested through your money and your lives, and you will hear from those who receive the scripture and from the idol worshippers a lot of insult. If you steadfastly persevere and lead a righteous life, this will prove the strength of your faith. This is a mandatory test that all believers will eventually have to face to prove their faith. In Surah 29, verse 2 and 3, it reads, Do the people think that they will be left to say we believe without being put to the test? We have tested those before them, for God must distinguish those who are truthful, and He must expose the liars. While God allows for weak believers to hide their faith at times and even profess disbelief if forced, this should not be the perpetual state of a believer. Surah 3 verse 28, it reads, The believers never ally themselves with the disbelievers instead of the believers. Whoever does this is exiled from God. Exempted are those who are forced to do this to avoid persecution. God alerts you that you shall reverence Him alone. To God is the ultimate destiny. And in Surah 16 verse 106, it reads, Those who disbelieve in God after acquiring faith and become fully content with disbelief have incurred wrath from God. The only ones to be excused are those who are forced to profess disbelief while their hearts are full of faith. Eventually, our true convictions have to be put to the test to see if we will stand with God despite the persecution we will face. In Surah 29 verse 10 and 11 it reads, Among the people there are those who say we believe in God, but as soon as they suffer any hardship because of God, they equate the people's persecution with God's retribution. But if blessings from your Lord come your way, they say we were with you. Is God not fully aware of the people's innermost thoughts? God will most certainly distinguish those who believe, and He will most certainly expose the hypocrites. So therefore, we cannot go our whole lives avoiding standing up for righteousness or continually professing disbelief because we are concerned about the possible threat to our emotions, liberty, or life. At some point, it is required that if we want to prove that we are a committed believer, that we will stand with God in face of fear or backlash from the people. In Surah 3 verse 175, it reads, It is the devil's system to instill fear into his subjects. Do not fear them and fear me instead if you are believers.
Today in society, we are being inundated with all kinds of vices and sinful conduct and being pressured to accept them in order to not be deemed an outcast. Believers are being pressured to not just tolerate, but condone and support such wicked acts as adultery, homosexuality, abortion, transgenderism, sexualization of children, promotion of government-sanctioned racism in the form of critical race theory, the destruction of the nuclear family, and not to mention the restrictions of worship practices, our freedom of religion, and many of our basic liberties for the sake of COVID. How many people are willing to speak the truth in face of such societal pressures compared to those who prefer to adopt such satanic beliefs in order to fit in with the rest of society. This shows that slavery is not always in the context of status in society, but has to do with who a person allows to rule over them. Because a person who is rich and has status in that society, if they kowtow to the wishes of the society when it's in opposition to the truth, they're just as much of a slave as a person who doesn't have any status in society, but prefers to be oppressed rather than free because of the worldly conveniences that society has to offer them. And we see this all the time with celebrities who have millions of dollars, tons of followers, yet they grovel at the feet of unjust authorities to appease them. Be it the Chinese Communist Party when they get called out for calling Taiwan a country or standing on the side of liberty for the people of Hong Kong or the woke mob going after anyone who objects that men and women are biologically different, or that children should not have sex reassignment surgery or hormone blockers, and that biological males should not be allowed to compete in female sports. How many of these celebrities, these people of status, are slaves to these entities and go against the truth just to appease these tyrannical mobs? So this slavery cuts both ways, irrespective of status. Whether you're like the children of Israel, who would forego their ability to worship God freely because they were seeking some material conveniences of this world, or the person of high status who will ally themselves with wicked disbelievers in order to avoid the persecution of standing up for the truth. So God willing, let's never sell our righteousness in order to appease oppressors, let's always stand on the side of truth irrespective of what societal norms tell us. And under all circumstances, always make God our number one priority. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran study app on the iOS app store where we do a word-by-word -word breakdown of the Arabic Quran. And if you guys like the podcast, please leave us a review. And until next time, peace and God bless.